0: Welcome to a Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. It's good to be here uh, with you. Just a couple of announcements. Uh, we talked about it last week and I want to keep mentioning it uh, in front of you. Uh, we've got an evangelism training that we're working on. Uh, the first one will be uh, on the 17th of October uh, here at the church. So we've got a lot of people just honestly say, hey man, I'm, I'm really confused on what it looks like to share the faith, how, how to have conversations with people about the gospel. So we're looking just to equip you in that. Uh, it'll be a two-part uh series the first one's on the 17th and the next one will be the following month looking to show you at the beginning the 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 why of evangelism like why we do it and kind of how it's geared Uh, and then the second one will be really practical just to try and equip you to be able to to do that so i'd love for you to uh, RSVP for that if you're not sure how to do that you can come talk to me or there is a uh, something on realm for you to be able to do that if you're familiar uh, with Realm, but two-part series. They're going to be two hours a piece. I think it'll be well worth uh, your time if you just struggled with sharing faith or knowing how, or even how to move conversations from uh, the Cardinals or the Tigers to Jesus. Uh, like, hey, we want to talk about that with you, and hopefully this will be helpful. Uh, and the other announcement um, next week on the third. Anything going on? There's a woohoo. There's a party. Yes. Uh, We're having our 10-year celebration next week. Uh, So here's just insider uh, pastoral love. Don't come to the celebration and not come to church. That's a good way to, like, not celebrate. So, like, don't do that. But uh, plan on spending the day with us. We'll worship together. Uh, and then we'll go. There's good food. Like There's going to be really good food. There's going to be really good dessert. Uh, we're just going to have a time together to enjoy food together, but also to share stories of grace of what God has done. So I want to kind of leave that in your ear. We're going to have an open time there, uh, just asking for people to come share uh, just really what God has done over the years uh, in, in this church, uh, in your faith. So just be thinking about that. And some of you guys, I'm going to ask you like today or the next couple days, like, hey, would you, even if you don't want to, like, come do that? But, man, we just really love to share stories of what God has done. And the idea behind this is we, we want to celebrate. We, we want to understand, hey, man, it's been, a, uh, it's been 10 years. It's been a long road. It's been an interesting road. There's been ups and there's been downs, but God has done some glorious and good things. And we want to stir our affection for God and what he's done and just remember, man, he have been really good to us. So that is kind of what we're doing next week. Uh, if you... Um, if you've RSVP'd, please come, and we'll have just a really good time together. So I'll pray, too, and then we'll uh, we'll get going. God, I, I pray this morning that our hearts, uh, Lord, would just you see your beauty and your goodness, um, that you would show us uh, what it looks like to respond to you, uh, to have appropriate biblical uh, responses to who you are that our, our lives would see you as good and, and majestic and wonderful, Lord. So come draw near Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. God, we pray that you are just made much of in our time here. We pray that in your name. Amen. Uh, so we've been uh, in a series called Identity and Vision for about a month. We've covered our core text. Uh, our our mission, our vision as a a church together, and then we spent three weeks covering our DNA elements, the kind of non-negotiables that we have devoted ourselves to, which are gospel message, gospel community, and gospel uh, mission. And what we need to know is, is those things, those DNA elements in our vision and our mission, we have had all of those things with us since the very beginning. So uh, before we backed in the trailer to the Ark, if, if you're back there, you know what's up for that. Before we backed in the trailer to unload all of our stuff into the Ark, to have our first service, if you want full honesty, before I had a man named David DeBates pull the trailer in because I was terrible at backing up trailers, We still have this vision element stuff there. It's been with us all along. Uh, This week, what we want to do is we want to shift just a little bit. We want to focus on a little bit of a different angle, specifically a way that our vision or uh, our our aim as a church has been honed just a little bit and maybe changed just a little bit. So it is true that we have uh, hills to die upon. Things that are non-negotiable. We will not give up. We will not move. We will not be changed. There are things that, that will stay our conviction because they run deeply in us. But we've also learned over about 10 years that there's also some things that God wanted to clarify a little bit and that he even want to uh, correct a little bit. So today's aspect of our vision and identity series is exactly that. It's looking at some ways that God has tweaked who we are and what we're aiming for uh, together. Now, uh, a way that we'll kind of describe this adjustment or the kind of name that we'll put on it is really we're going to call this one gospel response or or maybe healthy response gospel response this is what God I believe is tweaked in us healthy gospel response and uh, hopefully we'll make sense of that as we keep going our church lands in uh, what is called uh, the the reformed theological uh, perspective so reformed theology is not a new theology it's actually a movement that was started in really around the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century uh, this is when there was a break away from uh, not not the whole Catholic Church but really what is better known as as the the Roman Catholic Church by many because the Roman Catholic Church had really adopted many unbiblical practices. Uh, They allowed corrupt, immoral, uh, unqualified clergy to lead the church. Uh, They elevated the pope and clergy into the spot of the mediator between man and God. So instead of Jesus being the the mediator, which the Bible says he is, they put themselves in that role. Uh, They were hoarding their, their wealth uh And using it in ways that that were not exactly on the up and up and and the really big one is they were selling indulgences, which was essentially they were selling um the ability to be forgiven hey you you had a you had a rough year I got an indulgence for you it'll totally cover that this is what they were doing there's many other issues as well, but at the root of all things they were selling forgiveness. They had stopped repenting and believing in Jesus, and they had started believing that people were saved by being a part of their church. If you're born into the church, if you're a part of their church, if you show up to their church, if you have the sacraments of the church, if you give money to the church, that Catholic church will offer you pardon and salvation, and if you need a little buffer, they'll sell you an indulgence on top of that. So this led to uh, really a group of people who were not very worried about holiness or sanctification or following Jesus. Why? Because they had a really ineffective get out of hell free card through the way the church was set up. So I want to say this, uh, two different things. One, I fully realize that this is a little bit of an oversimplification of uh, hundreds of years of, of issues. Uh, And I also want to make the differentiation between the Roman Catholic Church that was doing this over the, the larger Catholic Church. So we're not trying to point at all it was the Roman Catholic Church. But really what was happening is there was a leaving behind of a pursuit of holiness and any type of repentance. Now, at the core, they had ignored Paul's counsel in Romans 6 verses 1 through 2. Uh, that verse says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And this is a rhetorical question. Paul's going, hey, if grace is this big and if we're alive in grace and that's covered all the things that we've done, should we just like do whatever and it's cool because that makes grace abound? If, if we sin more, then there's more grace. Is that, is that cool? And he, he answers in verse 2, by no means. How can one who has died to sin still live in it? How can one who has died to sin still live in it? So sin was rampant in the church uh, and in the leaders of the church, and no one cared to really address it. And even worse, they saw fit to capitalize financially off of it by selling what we talked about as pardons or indulgences. And this led to the event that maybe you have heard of where uh, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church. This 95 Thesis was 95 grievances or rebukes or issues that Luther had against the the Catholic Church. There are ways that they were not following the word, they were not obeying Christ. And, And he makes this 95 Thesis to confront them about what they were doing. These are issues that he could no longer stand idly by. He had to confront their sin. And the first and probably most famous of these grievances on the 95 Thesis is number one that read like this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. So, what Luther was doing is he's pulling from Matthew 4 17 when Jesus calls us to repent, saying, Hey, when he said that, he meant that we would be repenting uh, throughout all of our life, not in just. One moment. He was calling out that the church had seemingly left uh, repentance behind. They didn't need to do it anymore because the church covering that they had over them. They believe it was possibly, hey, you don't need to repent because you're a part of the church, or it was just a one time thing and you don't need to do it anymore. Why? Uh, Again, because the covering of the church would cover all of their issues. But this was a problem because when Jesus said, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come, he meant all of life would involve repenting in some way or another for us believers. All of life would would require a turning away from sin and a turning away from self. Therefore, faith is kind of this continual grind to believe in Jesus, to trust and follow Jesus. Our flesh will kind of continually beckon us to, to, to go another way, but we will have to fight to repent when it does so and turn away from those things and follow Jesus over and over and over again as our source of life. So if you can see the issue, a church is saying, hey, you don't need to repent anymore. And Jesus said, no, 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 repentance should be a regular thing that you do. Now, I relate to many things with the illustration of a a pendulum swinging back and forth. You have a center and then you have two far sides and it just swings all the way from one to the other where the Catholic Church had swung all the way away from repentance to license. No, 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 everything's good, grace, the church has got you, everything's fine. What the Reformation did is it tried to swing things back the opposite direction to where repentance would at least be a regular part of the life of a believer or a follower of Christ. This was good, Uh, This was right. This is biblically solid and necessary. He's not going off on a tangent. Luther's going, hey, we're not following Jesus. We need to swing back to follow him. Now, what I've seen in my heart, in the heart of many over the past years, though, is a heart that has so fully embraced the Reformation, so fully, I'm down with that. Yes, they so fully embraced the return to repentance, the belief that they find a life through turning away from ourselves and back to Jesus, um, that they not only embrace repentance, but the heart has almost become obsessed with repentance. Right, It goes from yes and right to obsessive Over it, That pendulum, essentially remember when the Catholic Church swung all the way away from, hey, you don't need to repent anymore. uh, The the heart has tried to swing past this healthy area where the reformers meant for it to go to where there's this hyper uh, kind of focus on repentance in maybe a way that is a little bit too strong. John Owen, a Puritan preacher, famously wrote in a series of old sermons that you need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. A lot of young, uh, restless and reformed dudes have big old beards and they have it on shirts. But you need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. What he was highlighting in this is the continual battle that happens in our hearts even after you're saved. Right? There's still a battle that's going on there. This is the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. In that process of becoming more like Jesus is literally to war against our own hearts and our own sins, ruthlessly weeding it out. Don't ignore it. Deal with it. Why? Because sins are dangerous. When left alone, the sin in our heart and the sin that we commission and do, it, it will mess with us. It will mess with our community and it will mess with our church. It breaks things down. And no one is just pointing out and something that's been coined as a phrase for many for quite a while right now is you cannot romance your sin. You can't ignore it. You can't play with it. You can't delay dealing with it going, hey, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. I'll deal with it maybe next week or next month. Or you can't pretend that it won't hurt you and other people. What we need to do is be alert to our heart and our motives and our actions and our ways. Why? So when sin does rear its ugly head, the head is cut off. He's saying, hey, pay attention. There's a continual grind in your faith. When sin pops up, make sure to cut it out. The Bible continually warns us that the devil wants to devour the people of God, that he wants to lure us away from worship or Christ, if even possible, to to really entangle us in sin and deceive us and pull us away from the love and the source of life that is in Jesus. So when Owen says, hey, be killing sin or sin will be killing you, he's 100% correct. We have to kill sin or our sin will try and hurt our hearts. But again, I see that my hearts and maybe hearts of other reformers have really taken this uh, to mean that all we do in the Christian life is hunt sin. That's all we do. Why? Because you've got to be killing sin or it'll be killing you. So everything in the faith is a hunt. Uh, We've at times got confused while Luther said the entire life was to be one of repentance, as in repentance is a continual need that on this side of a heaven, you you don't graduate to a place where you don't need to repent anymore and everything's fine. We're going to kind of continually need before Christ returns and deals with sin. Finally, we're going to continually need to turn away from what we have done and to repent. But here's here's the thing when we talk about gospel balance. We confused a continual need to repent with meaning our only need is to repent. And those are not the same things. I hope you're following. There will never be a day on this side of eternity that repentance isn't possible, has got shifted into the only thing you do until Jesus comes is repent. There's a major difference in that. There's a major difference in saying, hey, we never stop repenting, and we never stop <laughs> repenting, right? right? It's a big difference in how that mentality is carried out, as in it's all we do. I've personally seen myself over the years just get unbalanced in this. And if you've been around over the 10 years, you've seen that probably as well. I've forgotten at times, like, like many of us probably have, Uh, That repentance is a part of what Jesus required, but it's certainly not all that he had asked for, and it's not all that our hearts need. You never leave it behind, but it's not the only tool you have. Mark 1, verses 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Two things, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, in reading this, I don't want to pretend that that faith is actually some two-part equation. One part repentance to one part believing. It's not that clean, it's not that tidy, it's not that neat. And while it's true, when you repent and turn away from sin, that in a form is simultaneously turning to believe more in Jesus. That's true as well. We still need to understand that there's still something there that a part of our response to the gospel and Jesus is just to believe. We're tasked with hearing and responding, sometimes not by looking for a way that we have to repent in that moment. Sometimes we're called to hear the truth and accept it and believe it. By saying, I don't know, Jesus, why you've done what you've done. I, I, I don't know why you'd save me. I don't know why you'd stand in my place. I don't know if like you didn't get a good look at me before, and now you're like regretting the whole death on the cross thing. Like I don't know why you've done what you've done, but I believe in it. I place my faith in what you've done on the cross for me. Jesus, you've died for the sins that I should have to, and I place my faith in that, that I am clean before you, not because of what I've done, but what you've done. Have done I believe it right now. A key response to the to the gospel is saying, I just believe it. I believe it. The honing of the vision that we're walking through today is seeing that our only response to all the things of faith that we do, right our only response to the gospel proclaimed in sermon, our, our only response to when you open the word, uh, at home. Uh, our only response, if you listen to a biblical podcast or we sing, our only response doesn't have to be exclusively to all things faith that we hunt for a sin to repent of, for a way that we're wicked, and for a way that we've dropped the ball. Are you, are you following? That is not the only thing we do in all things faith that we do. I've had this conversation on repeat with people over the past year, I believe. Every time we open the scriptures, we are not looking for a way to diagnose how we suck. Right? Real educated way to say it. We're not only trying to find how we've fallen short, how we could get better. What we need to understand is we need to back up and understand the Bible is about God first and foremost. That will speak into our story. But if every time you open it, you're looking for how you are terrible... You're missing the beauty of how he is wonderful. We don't want to do that. I want to be super careful. I'm not saying um, that we aren't going to regularly repent and regularly see ways that, that Christ is calling us to believe and that's going to affect our actions. But I am saying that that there is this maturing that happens in our faith that we understand that repentance isn't the only thing that we do. And I'll be as clear as I, as I can... I haven't always led super well in that. And that's why the elders and myself, we're trying to course correct a little bit with that. Uh, If you've been paying attention to the preaching here lately at Redemption's Hill, you'll probably see a really big focus is deliberately trying to lead us to multiple responses to the gospel. Multiple ways. So when we end sermons, we're going, hey man, there's, there's probably different ways that we're all going to hear this. And that probably means that there's different responses that we all need to have. So at times, we're trying to lead you to see that sometimes when we open the word or hear a sermon, at times we need to take the win and celebrate Christ's work. Look where he brought you. Yes and amen. And sometimes we just rejoice and celebrate. God is faithful, even though the world looks like a dumpster fire. Man, you are good. And we worship and we celebrate. Uh, Sometimes we worship just out of gratitude. Sometimes we respond in faith for the very first time. And sometimes we hear things and we do and need to repent. Repentance is just one healthy response to Jesus' work in the gospel. It's not an illegitimate one. It's just not the only one. It's never one we want to leave it's just not the only one we want to experience. The, the question that we need to process is why, though. Why is that a part of the vision now? Why is that a honing issue? Why is, why is that a core thing that we want to really, really focus on? And even more so biblically, why is a wider array of res- responses than just repentance necessary? We're going to look at the New Testament story of Mary and Martha to try and help us understand why possibly a healthier balance, a full spectrum of responses to the gospel might be a good thing for your heart and for mine. So Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, not very long, but it says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him him into her house So Jesus is going from place to place in his earthly ministry. He stops at a village where these two sisters live. Their name's Mary and Martha from the text, and the sisters both welcome Jesus in. Yet they both experience Jesus in vastly different ways. Right? That is to say they experience closeness. Uh, their, their, their experience of closeness to Jesus was, was very different. Mary, in the presence of Jesus, couldn't sit still. Right? That, that's what's happening in this, this uh, or Martha couldn't sit still. That's what's happening in the text. She says that she uh, the text says that she was distracted with much serving with all the tasks to do. So really, we've got to understand Jesus comes into the room, and all the one sister can do is is work. She's distracted. I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, I've got to do this. In the presence of Jesus, all she could think of are the things that were left undone, all the messes, the corner she didn't sweep, the bread she still had to make. She should probably go get some more wine before dinner. The idea is uh, her mind couldn't enjoy Jesus because she didn't know how to stop what was happening inside of her heart. Let yourself kind of lean into the full weirdness of that moment. Again, the Lamb of God is there. The long-awaited Savior, the Redeemer, the very image of God is in the room. The entire Old Testament was pointing to Jesus the entire way. There's a 400-year gap between the last book of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And all the people in darkness are thinking, was it all untrue? Is he never going to come? That 400 years passed, things are crazy. All of a sudden, the one that all of it pointed to is literally in the room. And she's so hyper-focused on other things that she can't enjoy him. Jesus is there. She's too twisted up to see it. See, it's interesting. It says that she essentially tattles. This is how twisted her mind has gotten. She tattles on her sister to Jesus, the lamb. Like, really? Interesting move. Saying, don't don't you care? I'm working my tail off here. I mean... Food doesn't make itself. House didn't clean itself. Look at all that that I'm doing. And she's just relaxing. She's got her feet kicked out. She's looking into your eyes, having a great old time. Not a care in the world, Jesus. Why don't you tell her to get up and work? Do something. Be responsible, like me, to focus on other things. Jesus, tell her, come on, please. Please. Jesus responds by saying to her, Martha, Martha, this, this repetition of her name is really special because in the in, in their time to repeat someone's name like this is a tender, loving way to say, I, I love you, I see you. It's a caring, compassionate way to address her. Right? So she, tell her to do stuff. Why isn't she working? Martha, Martha, tender in love. Martha, you're anxious and troubled about so many things. Can your heart relate to that just as you walk in today? So many things. He's saying to her, you're diligent, you're planned, you're thoughtful, you're responsible. But you tend to fixate and obsess at times. You obsess about a million things that are on your mind and a million things that are necessary, but the one thing that is necessary, the the one and only thing, is to listen and draw close to me. Hear this, Martha's only way, the only way she knew how to, to relate to Jesus was to go to work for him. I literally do not know how to relate to you besides working for you. While Mary chose to just sit and be still and listen to him which to do that can definitely lead you to work later. But it can also lead to joy and rest and adoration and thanksgiving and peace. I want to lean into that and, and, and ask, man, do you feel that way? Is the only way that you know how to relate to Jesus now is by doing work for him. Is the only way you know how to relate to him by by by, by doing some some task or some some goal or, or some some work in your heart or some repentance is that the only thing that you know how to do when it comes to Jesus is is to fix something. If it is, I I think maybe he wants more for you. Here is what I see in general when I look at people, including myself. We tend to lead to one side of the spectrum or the other. We're workers or real good resters, right? It, it, it's a, it may be a wiring issue. Some just always want to rest in Jesus. They always want to work or, or to, to lean into his work for themselves, and they never want to work for themselves. They love that rest paradigm, and they are good at it. But they easily forget that true and genuine faith leads to good works. Um, that we are saved to be changed, disciples, disciplined, sacrificial followers of Jesus. That we need to aggressively fight our sin when it shows its face. And they also forget that we're called to pick up our cross and bear it as we follow him. That is a work. It's difficult. It doesn't save you, but what, it's what it looks like when you're saved. Some lean way too hard into the rest. And they need to get up and they need to go to work. While the others lean to the other side, all they know how to do is work. Ones like this, they hunt their sin, they serve the church, they're moving constantly. Uh, so much so that you you don't really know how to slow down and actually enjoy Jesus because you only again know how to relate to him by working for him this person we always have a list of what could be done better what needs to be fixed what's out of place you kind of fixate on all the things around this obsessive feeling that we need to keep working leads to really an obsessive need to repent over and over. I can't see anything out there to do. I need to work in here. And it believes that if you aren't finding a sin inside to name and fight every single day, that somehow you're leaving work undone in the faith and you're becoming lazy. Right? Here's the two wirings. My hope for us when we talk about healthy balance, balanced responses to the gospel is that we would stop swinging the pendulum from one side to the other. Because even though our personal wiring seemed to lean one way or the other, here's what we've done. As a body, we have collectively seasonally leaned one way or the other, kind of together. Often over 10 years, we have swung more towards the the working and repenting side of things. All we know how to do is repent and work. And, And I just want to be super clear as we talk about that. I own that. That's a leadership issue. That's why in the vision we're trying to correct that. But our hope is that we would individually and personally become healthier, that we'd be able to see over a season that the gospel has done many things. Right? If we look at a month or two months or a quarter of the year, what we want to do is be able to look at that season in our lives and see that, man, over that season there was this arc of many different ways that the gospel landed and many different ways that we responded to it. We want to see that the gospel in some times has caused us to go work hard in the kingdom of God. We want that to be a response. We want to see other times where the gospel has caused us just to sit down in silence and look at Jesus. There's times we want to stop moving and stop hunting and stop obsessing and just sit and rest. Why? Because his work is finished over us. It's already complete because of him. There is a more balanced and full spectrum of gospel responses that we have available to us. Man, I want to see us walk in those. I want to see worship and adoration, and I want to see repentance, and I want to see rest, and I want to see joy, and I want to see peace as we see the many sides of who Christ is and the many sides of the gospel, and we appropriately respond more fully to that. This more healthy and more balanced set of responses, I believe, is where deeper biblical joy comes from. Why? If our only response to Jesus is to find something that we're doing wrong, that will do something to you. Slowly but surely, the heart will become engulfed in shame and rejection because it always sees failure. Because though the gospel says, hey, I've paid for all of your sin and all of your shame. And if all we do is look at our sin and our shame, we will tend to feel worthless and you will live out of that identity. Because you'll start to believe, man, I haven't progressed at all. There's no fruit in my life. I haven't changed at all. The, the Holy Spirit hasn't brought any meaningful beauty or, or, or results in my life and we will begin to live out of this identity that's way less than what Jesus paid for on the cross. I want to make sure that we're still on a solid theological grounding. We are not leaving repenting behind. But if we're always looking at ourselves, looking for what's wrong, hunting for sin, fixating on things that are not perfect, then we may get so distracted that we just can't see Jesus very well. And if we do, he may end up looking like a slave master to us, like the dad who always yelled. Like the dad, when you did your best, he was like, yeah, but. And that's not how he wants to, to walk with us. That's why we mentioned the, the Mary and Martha story. The, le- the, work left, the work left to be done literally hid the beauty of who Jesus was. I want to make sure that's not what we fall into. Yeah, there's work to be done. Yeah, there's going to be repenting to be done. But Jesus is still beautiful and glorious and his work is finished over us. I want us to rest on that. Again, we will by by no means stop fighting our sin or warring against its presence. We'll do that individually. We'll do that collectively in community. But we want to fight just as hard to look at Jesus' beauty and to be captured by him and get lost in worship to him to celebrate the work that he has done so that we can see that he has brought meaningful change about in the lives of those who follow him. And though there's more left to do, the good news is he's not done working. And he's patient. Really good news, and he's not surprised. He doesn't look at you and go like, I really thought they would be so much further. I really thought that they wouldn't do that anymore. He knows what he bought, and he is not mad. See, this is where joy comes from. Fight your sin like crazy. And then rest in Jesus as well. By learning to do both instead of just one for long periods of time. As we circle back to the vision statement that we've looked at each week, we exist to glorify God through lives changed by the gospel. Our fine vision for God getting glory through our changed lives. Is seeing the many ways that we respond to his gospel. Again, at times we're going to repent of sin that we've embraced more than Jesus. You're going to hear the word and conviction will come. What's the appropriate response? Repent. Repent, because when you repent, you'll find life. At times we will, as a church, need to lament, and we've got off course. focused on the wrong things. We've gotten bitter, we've gotten distracted, and we'll need to, the heavy act of lament that. At times we'll cry tears of sorrow as we see fleshly decisions in our own hearts and around us. But at times we'll celebrate how we've trusted Jesus more in an area. And this is where we need to understand, some of you have a hyper gift of encouragement, all of you have the ability to encourage You know that? Where brothers and sisters can go, I've seen you grow so much here. and I'm so encouraged in this. You did not do it either. Jesus did. Thanking him for how he's grown. At times we'll celebrate how Christ brought victory uh, in something else or or change something in the church. Sometimes we'll be grateful. It really just the, the way that Christ is leading us together. And at times we'll cry tears of joy. As we see the mercy and kindness of Jesus, our answered prayers. When he came through, when we thought, man, I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to move through this. When someone is healed from sickness or someone returns in the faith, we'll, we'll cry tears of joy instead of just tears of lament. And at times we'll sit silently because God is holy and sometimes we should talk less. At times we'll get really loud singing gospel-centered songs that cry out, the grave is empty and Jesus is alive. Times we'll lift our hands. the Savior who is with us, sometimes we'll bow our knees in reverence to the God who is just not like us. So we're hopeful, Church, that together we'll respond to God more and in more healthy ways and in a larger spectrum of ways than we have. A prayer that Jesus will show us just a fuller picture of what He has done. And teach us what it means to respond to that fuller picture. Well, we'll need the Holy Spirit for this. We need to continue to ask Holy Spirit. Let us see Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, shows us the, the the Jesus that calls you out of certain behaviors, and also shows you the Jesus says, "Come, draw near. Come, draw near." Moving forward, maybe this is something we can start thinking about in our missional communities, and especially in your DNA groups, your smaller groups that you hopefully are meeting, and that even in those, we can begin to just lean into the full spectrum of how the Psalms teach us to respond. Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication, all of these are appropriate, even demanded responses. Maybe some of the helpful talks in your missional community, your DNA group, or the people around you, is just with the brothers and sisters around you hate. Can you tell me, do you see me leaning one way or the do do I tend to lean always towards work or always towards rest? Do you think that I'm not able to rest on the finished work of Jesus? Do you think I like to rest in my sin instead of repenting? So we some really good moments just to have discussions about that, so that we can be aware of what are our blind spots, the hard realities. You and I have issues that Our brothers and sisters just see a whole lot more clearly than we do. And what if we stopped looking at those as moments for war inside the church and and looked at those as moments of love? Hey, man, I see this. I've been praying for you about this. I don't think you're resting in Jesus very much anymore. Can we pray about that and talk about that together? I hope it's clear the gospel balance Doesn't mean if you haven't rested that it's just time to shut off all work. I, just, I work too much. ain't showing up for nursery next week. That's not what it means. It does believe, mean, though, that there's a beauty available when you just sit and go, God, you're so good. And right now, I don't need to do anything. That's that's adoration. You are powerful and you're good. There's days we have to war against the heart and there's days that we just sit there and go, man, I'm so thankful for you. This is the hope that we will do that. We will ruthlessly have to fight sin. We also want to aggressively lean into Jesus. Maybe we'll understand the text just a little bit more when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary. Let, that, let those words sit on you. If you're always consumed with the next thing to do, if your only way to, to open the word is to figure out what you've done wrong, Jesus' burden is light. There's a time for that, but there's also a time when he says, hey, come, let me give you rest. Come rest to me. And the words are even interesting. It's test me. See if my burden isn't light. The hope is that we would see that and lean into that in healthier ways together. I want us to grow in maturity We'll hunt sin when we need to. We'll celebrate and adore as well. And you guys can come back up. We're going to take communion today. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we play, we'll have three songs. If you don't have a communion cup, you can go grab one in the front. You don't have to be a member here to take. We just ask that your faith be in Jesus. But as we sing to our Lord, just remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. In that moment, your work to do when you take is just to believe. Believe in what he's done, the goodness that he has given to you, and the mercy that he has. And let your soul be stirred in that he is good and he is kind. I pray that you would be built up that and that together. And I pray that we would become healthier together. And understand just in maturity that there are seasons that there'll be different responses, but we don't want to go three, six, eight months where all we do is one thing. God, give us healthy rhythms of seeing you, hearing you, and responding to you well. That's our prayer. Would you stand with me?